Welcome to the Cross to Crown Podcast, where we keep the system out of theology and the baby out of the bathwater. We keep the text in its context and the new in the new covenant. Our mission is to help you live intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Cross to Crown podcast. This is episode 21, and we are in the midst of a series on stewardship. And today we are covering the topic of money. Last week, if you did not get a chance to listen to it, we encourage you before listening to this podcast to go back to the other one uh, where we talk about time. Not just because of the fact that we talk about time, but because of the fact that we introduce the topic by laying the groundwork of what biblical stewardship is. I'm Chris Pales, and this is Doug Gooden. Hello, everyone. And uh, Doug, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. Got through all the holiday season and uh, cruising right here through the middle, of, almost the middle of January, and uh, looking forward to 2019, but uh, things are going well. How about yeah. you? Good. It almost seems like the holidays were so far away all of a sudden. This, this has <laughs> been like one of those long, long weeks. Everything's getting back to normal everything's huh. back to the on regular schedule and it's everybody's trying to grind back into it and it, it just seems like it's been a long week so the holidays seem like forever ago um but we we still have people in the neighborhood with, with lights on um <laughs> so and there's some people around here you know you know those people are who, who keep them up on their house all year long so <laughs> yeah it's, it's like those people that start playing christmas music in november you know oh, I, I don't know I, who you're talking about because i do mine in june so i don't know who you're talking about in november those are late people they're getting on the ball late oh <laughs> uh, so you know you gotta you gotta rev up for it and some of us have to take a little longer to rev up for christmas so we start earlier so that, that's all that's all just trying to make sure it happens <laughs> so doug we're talking about stewardship um and and briefly let's rehash just briefly, what stewardship is. Can you tell us? Yeah, so the idea is that uh, uh, in, this is an old concept from um, many, many centuries ago where uh, an owner would entrust the control and the responsibility of his estate to a steward, and that steward had the freedom to use, uh, to, to do with pretty much whatever he wanted with the estate, but always with the understanding that uh, he's accountable to the owner, and at any point if the owner didn't like it, he could change it, take it away, remove him from stewardship or whatever, uh, and, and his, his, uh, his, uh, his uh, remuneration, his, his salary, if you will, his, his life, life uh, what's the word I'm looking for? His, um, his payment would be contingent on using, uh, being a good steward of what he was entrusted uh, with. So the idea for us is everything belongs to God. Everything in the universe, because he created it, and he created it uh, for Jesus, and we have been entrusted with the stewardship of many things. Last time we talked about time. Our time is not our time. It's, uh, it's God's time, but he's entrusted it to us to make decisions that are pleasing to him and to use it for his glory. And so today, as we talk about money, it'll be the same thing. We, we are entrusted with money, and uh, we need to use it for his glory. So that's, that's in a nutshell what we talked about. So let me, as we move into to money, let me ask you, now, you've been pastoring for over 20 years now. Um, how much counseling do you do in regards to money, especially with regards to marital counseling? 
Yeah, quite a bit. So on the premarital side, one of the things that I require all of the couples to do is to bring a budget to me mm -hmm. to look at. And my first concern there is not uh, how they're going to allocate their money. My first concern is for them to have the conversation and see, mm -hmm. you know, how differently they approach money. Right. You know, the wife is like, I need all this for groceries or whatever. Or the guy's like, ah, we can, you know, we can survive on 10 bucks mm -hmm. a month on groceries and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but then secondarily, I usually do speak into it and, and just say, hey, have you thought about this? Uh, as your salaries increase, uh, how are we going to allocate this and that? Uh, in marriage counseling, I do quite a bit of it. In fact, I'm working with a couple right now who uh, we did their premarital counseling a few years ago, and uh, I thought we covered this well, but uh, it, it opened my eyes to how we just can slip into bad habits. In just a few years, they had uh, racked up $30,000 of debt, mm. and the vast majority of that is on credit cards. Right just poor choices and mm -hmm. uh, and they're in trouble and and so it impacted their marriage they were having significant strains on their marriage and their relationship because of this now that right. wasn't the only factor but it was a contributing factor right and I didn't realize they had this much debt and uh, they mentioned that to me sort of in passing and so I met with the guy one-on-one -on -one and I said you know so as we're putting all this together what is the uh, what was the debt we're talking about here and he said thirty thousand dollars my jaw just about dropped and I said you don't have a mortgage right and he said no you don't have pay car payments, right? He said, no. Oh, this is not good. Yeah. So we worked on a plan, and uh, they are about halfway through what's going to end up being just slightly less than three years of, uh, of paying it off. Uh, and they are... They are skimping. They are they're 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 they didn't spend much on Christmas this year. They don't mm -hmm. do much for their kids for birthdays and things. They have to pay that off. But we had a great discussion about how. Over the long term, with interest, they're going to pay way more than $38,000 as they pay that off. And, and yeah. they weren't even working to pay it off. They were paying the monthly balance and that kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, they already are excited to see that number go down, you know, cut in half. They are excited and realizing, I said, you know, when, when you get this done, it's going to be like an $800 a month raise in your yeah. salaries yeah. because that's how much they're having to put up toward this debt. So, uh, and already th it, has, um, it has impacted their marriage in a very positive way. They're together, they're working to pay this down, and it's, it, they feel the, uh, the, the weight of it releasing as they get closer. So uh, I spend a lot of time doing that in other men's groups and just with our church and stewardship, telling people it matters. It's a, it, it, you have to think this through and take charge of your money. Do you do you have them um, when you're premarital counseling? Besides making a budget as far as like as what they would be doing if they were together, do you ever have them disclose uh, their current budgets to each other to show what is currently happening? Uh, well, that will that usually comes up in their uh, in okay. their, as in their discussion. But we I do make sure that they are fully aware of the right. debt the other one is bringing to the mm -hmm. to the to the relationship. And, uh, and then, yeah, we usually talk through that and, uh, discuss the differences between their combined budget and what they've done individually. Yeah. Cause I know a couple that, um, years ago that got married under the assumption that the other person was, was, uh, doing financially very well. Um, but the truth, because of the fact that they were going out to fine restaurants and spending money on gifts for each other. And when they got married, it was discovered that both of them were actually very much in debt. <laughs> Wow. And uh, so that caused some issues for quite some time. And then both of them trying to financially recover when both of them were digging themselves out, but together now out of both the holes that they had dug. Right. So uh, you can, you can tell, I think it's important for that, those type of disclosures when you're, when you're looking at someone for a spouse, because there's a lot of information that you can learn about them from how they handle their money. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
Yeah. And it goes with the same thing with time, with time and, and other things that they, they, God has entrusted to them. There's a lot revealed about the individual. Let me, let me ask you, um, this topic of money can seem a little different in the categories of stewardship here because where we can say, okay, God made time. We understand all things belong. And that's, the, that's the, the, the starting point where we begin with stewardship is that all things belong to him. He created all things. All things are made for him and made for his glory, for the glory of Christ. The body, we can understand that. We're going to talk about that next week. Time, he definitely made that. Um, but money, did, how, does, how does that figure into this? Um, if Didn't man make money? Uh, I don't see where God just said, and let there be money. So why does God now have control of money? Sure. So, yeah, money is just uh, the word we use for currency that, uh, that is a, a transfer of wealth or a way to, uh, to, um, to purchase things. It's a means of exchanging wealth. And, and if you go back to the old bartering system or in some cultures, still a current bartering system, you know, I will provide you with this service or this object in return for objects or services that, that you can provide for me. Money is simply a tool that we have to, to help us exchange those things. Uh, so probably we're better off thinking in terms of, of general wealth and possessions and looking mm -hmm. at money as just one piece of that. So everything we're going to talk about today with respect to stewardship of money would be true of all material uh, possessions mm -hmm. and, and wealth. Right, right, right. Yeah, because money, there's, there's, you know, the piece of paper uh, is, is meaningless technically, but there's things that it represents. Right. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about money, because, I mean, there's, there's labor that's involved, there's materials, there's time that is mm -hmm. involved, and that's, you're putting a, 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 a worth value upon it and then ascribing a currency to it, cash. Mm -hmm. um, whatever it might be. Um, and so that's, that's, that's important to understand that that's how it is related to the ownership of God. He owns all of that. And so it's putting a, a value on that. Um, the, the purpose of money. Um, we talked about that a little bit just now. Uh, what does God expect me to do with my money? <laughs> that's a, um, so it's a broad question that that's going to hopefully lead to the rest of, but what is what does God expect me to do with my money? Here I am, I'm a new Christian, um, I've got a job, um, what, I'm earning some money. What does God expect me overall to do with my money? Well, again, the, the broad answer to the broad question is, like everything else, use it for His glory. Okay. Uh, it all belongs to Jesus. Uh, we are to give Him first place in everything, which means I'm to uh, use my money to give Jesus first place. But we do have to be careful with that kind of sentiment because some will take that to an extreme mm -hmm. and, and call us all to live the monk lifestyle, uh, you know, give away everything and, and live on the streets. Uh, or, you know, George Mueller is always held up as yeah. this prime example of a man who lived by faith. And he was. And I don't want to take anything away from what he did. He really believed this was what God wanted him to do. And so when he's got this house full of orphans and no nothing to eat, they sit around the, the dinner table and they're hungry. And he says, we're going to pray and trust the Lord to provide. And then somebody shows up and you know has food yeah. for them all. That That's wonderful. And, and God did amazing things there. But the scripture does not call us all to live you know, at the point of poverty right. and trust him to show have somebody show up at the door with a, a loaf of bread for us, that kind of thing. So there's lots of other principles that uh, that 
that help us understand how we glorify Christ with all of our money. But we do need to have the attitude, none of it is ours. And that's right. why the stewardship discussion at the very beginning was so important. There's not a penny uh, in my bank account or a possession that I have that truly belongs to me. Uh-huh. It's all been given to me by Christ, and I need to use it for His glory. And to the extent that I don't do that, I'm sinning. I'm, I'm treating it though as though it's not His. Uh, but again, that that we, we will qualify that as we go here, because it doesn't mean we give it all the way to the church or give it all the way to some charity or give it all the way to this or that or the other thing. Right. Yeah, I think it's important what you said. Um, there are other principles when you were talking about the one about giving and living by faith uh, as far as our finances, that there are other principles. And we need to take all of them into account because we can run aground if, if we don't understand all of what the Bible is taking or saying about this specific topic here. Um Last week, we talked about planning our time. Uh, how should we understand planning our money uh, in, in, the, in the context of stewardship? How should, how should we understand that? Yeah, in much the same way. Um, we should be thinking through uh, using our money on purpose. Mm. You know, so much of this comes down to taking control of our money rather than being controlled by it. And saying, okay, here's here's how much, for instance, our, my salary is, or uh, here's what I have to work with on a monthly or yearly basis. How do I allocate it to take care of the needs that I have in my family and then uh, use it for other things and looking to the future? Uh, right. It's important to, to consider the future, especially in our day and our culture. Uh, Paul tells the the Thessalonians to to uh, have something to give, and, I, and it's other places in Scripture as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, work hard. So that you have something to give to others. So there's a there's a principle of saving there. Uh, we are to take care of our parents at their old age. Um, well, you're probably only going to be in a position to do that if you are saving when you're younger. So there's that kind of stewardship, looking ahead, uh, knowing that in our in our day in our culture, um, though I don't love the idea of retirement in the sense that I'm working to be 65 and then I'm going to enjoy my savings and go play golf and travel the world and, and just, you know, the easy life. That's not a biblical concept. But there is the reality that uh, in most of our jobs, even even mine as a pastor, um, there's going to come a time when uh, someone's going to replace me. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the board's going to say it's time for you to, uh, to, to, to let someone else do this and uh, you're, you've uh, your jokes just aren't funny anymore, and your your your, <laughs> your exegesis is lacking. You know, whatever. Whatever. Uh, yeah. Whatever your job is, there's going to be a time when you're going to be let go. You're going to be asked to retire. Yeah. And if you haven't prepared for that day when you can't earn an income, uh, then then you've been a poor steward. You know, to the best of our ability, we need to save up and prepare for that. And and you know, we can talk about this if you want to. Compound interest is your friend the younger that you are. <laughs> and uh, it, it just seems to me good stewardship to invest when you're younger in things mm-hmm. where your wealth will build when you're not working. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just makes sense. And you can't control the market. And maybe the market is down by the time you get there to retirement age. And that's a struggle. But by and large, historically in America, uh, compound interest is your friend. So yes. I think it's good stewardship for Christians, especially young folks, to begin investing and let that compound interest build so they have something to give and provide others, and they're prepared when they get older. I remember the first time, because I, I didn't grow up learning about finances. Um, that was very distant from me. And then I was in the Marine Corps for eight years, and to be honest with you, it really wasn't something I, I needed to worry about too much or, or 
or even thought about because of the, I was off in other countries and such. And, and, um, you know, everything was provided for me, taken care of by daddy or uncle Sam. Uh-huh. Um, so, so, uh, it, it was, it was a difficulty getting out of the Marine Corps and learning to, to adjust to real life in that situation. But I remember one time taking a course in a, a personal finance and this topic of compound interest interest coming up, and and the guy that was presenting it showed the chart of if you had started saving at this age, mm-hmm. and I'm like, what? Why didn't <laughs> somebody <much>? tell me? <laughs> I would have how much? <laughs> and right. it amazed me. It amazed me. Doug, do you do you recommend any type of um, um, program for someone who's learning how to budget? Uh, is there any books out there? Any programs? Anything like that that you recommend? Yeah, I'm a I'm a big Dave Ramsey fan. Yeah. Um, you know, I know some people don't love him, but uh, he's just he's he's a very good communicator, very good teacher. And he, so he articulates these things in, in a way that just anybody can understand. Yeah. And I think his seven baby steps, if if people just did that, uh, the yes. one book that I recommend is the uh, Total Money Makeover. Uh, the Financial Peace University is fine, too, but Total Money Makeover is the one I prefer. Um, and then just the seven baby steps. You can you can get those free on his website. Mm-hmm. And any couple, any family who goes through those seven baby steps are likely to be pretty uh, secure uh, financially, uh, apart from the catastrophes and things that we can't uh, plan for. But they're just sound principles. And, yeah, and uh, I highly recommend them. I, I agree. I agree. Um, those those seven principles are, are are fantastic, especially when. Oftentimes, when when someone finally wakes up to the, their situation and their mind is reeling, and where do I start? What do I do? Going to those seven principles are very good to help you start thinking on the right track and start establishing a plan. And then from there, if you want more details, read the book or go get more counsel from it uh, from someone who, who knows uh, can help you out in that area. But those are really good. I think I think they were really good. That's, and that's that's where I started off at as well. Back when I got a Marine Corps, someone introducing me to that, and I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> these are these are good. <laughs> Right. And my brother is a registered financial advisor, a financial planner. And so I get to pick his brain, you know, whatever I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would he would argue that there's a few approaches that Ramsey has that, uh, you know, there, there might be a better way. And, right. and that may be true. But so much, you know, there's a there's a, a couple of competing schools of thought on the theory of some of these things. But again, there you're not going to go wrong with Dave Ramsey's approach. And it's mm-hmm. just so simple. He, he's just so good at taking these uh, more complex issues and bringing them down to a simple level and giving you a plan that if you apply it, you can get out of debt, you can stay out of debt, and you can start building wealth and be a good steward of that money. And I love the fact that he comes from a Christian perspective, yeah. and he's very concerned that that we support uh, ministry, mm-hmm. that we support the kingdom of God building, and that we are not a burden on others. Now, mm-hmm. he does spend a lot of time also talking about living the good life. You know, if you, he, he says if you if you live like no one else now, you can live like no one else later, meaning uh, if, if <laughs> right. you really are conservative now and invest well, then later on you can live the good life. Right. Well, we can debate as to whether or not that really should be the Christian goal. Right. But uh, I, would love to, I would love to know that everybody in my church has invested well and has so much money they're trying to figure out how much of the good life can I give and uh, live and how much should I give? You know, I right. would love to know that we've been that, the, that kind of stewards. Right, right. Yeah, th- th- you know, uh, there's usually somebody in everybody's life who's good with financing. So I encourage everybody, if you're struggling in this area, if you're, you're, you're lost, you have no clue, and maybe picking up a book and reading it is not that profitable for you. For instance, if you're not a reader or you have a difficult time understanding these things, there's usually somebody in your life or somebody at your church who's, who's good with this. 
And I have typically found that people who are good with this are more than willing to share their knowledge and to help you out with this. And they can find this as a way to minister to you. If you don't know who that might be in your church or in your life, you can ask your pastor, um, ask around some friends. And again, it, they typically are more than willing to help you out because there's some people who just really enjoy that type of stuff. So that's a good thing. That's right. a good thing. Yeah. Um, I remember when my wife and I first uh, were meeting and, and we were talking about our degrees and stuff or, or, or education, and I found out her degree was in quantum economics. I said, what? <laughs> I said, you're going to know more about this than I am. <laughs> I said, what does that even mean? <laughs> right. Uh, so let me let me go on from there um, and ask some practical questions that that you probably get asked a lot. And I've been asked and her, or heard or I've even asked it is lending mm. is lending something that we should be doing as Christians. Yeah, the whole idea of debt in general, whether you're on the giving side or the receiving side, the, the lending or the, the, the borrowing, um, it, it's the new covenant scriptures, which mm -hmm. we adhere to, uh, do not lay this out as explicitly as the old covenant scriptures do. So I think we need to be careful here and be gracious with those who approach it differently. But there's certainly no doubt that, that debt is uh, destructive or can be very, very destructive. Our, our economy here in the U.S., you think, is it going to collapse under the weight of the debt that, uh, that is all around us? Um, you know, school, uh, education, uh, so many people graduate college or postgraduate stuff, and they've accumulated such tremendous debt that you think, are they ever going to be able to dig themselves out of that hole? Which, uh, let me just plug New Covenant School of Theology here, uh, our school, 200 bucks a class. <laughs> um, no one's going to go broke, and we don't accept credit uh, uh, in, our, in our school. Um, they got to move to Colorado Springs, but come on, it's God's country. <laughs> who who wouldn't want to be here? Um, so, uh, I'm not in favor of lending. Mm -hmm. Um, I would not do it. Uh, I, I, I can't think of a circumstance that I would, even with our kids. Um, I mean, this is how strict I am about it. And I'm not suggesting that everyone has to follow this principle, but this is how strict I am with it. Uh, my son, uh, really wanted this, uh, very nice, uh, uh, Lumix camera, I think it is. Um, and it's like 400 bucks used. And, uh, and he found one on Craigslist over the Christmas holiday season, and he had $200 saved up, which I'm proud of him. He was 13 at the time, and, uh, you know, he saved up 200 bucks for this and still had money to give to ministry and things and, uh, and buy his sisters at least something for Christmas. So he had, um, he'd saved up 200 bucks, but he, this is a really good deal. And he said, Dad, could you buy it and I'll pay you back? Or could you buy it? And when I save up the money, then, then I can have it. And uh, I said, no. I said, you need to save money, and you can't buy that camera until you have the money saved up. And, uh, and of course, he was down, and, you know, this, Dad, this is never going to happen again. This, this, I'm not going to find this camera for this price again. And I said, <laughs> well, you don't know that, but the principle applies here. And I will, I will admit, my, my wife, you know, who's very, uh, uh, my son has her wrapped around her little finger, his little finger. Um, she was really putting the pressure on me after he went downstairs and, can we do this? Can we do this? And I kicked it around and I thought about what a great surprise it would be to, you know, uh, say mm -hmm. no and then come back with it later. But I finally said, nope, we're, we're just going to stick to the principles here. Mm -hmm. So he told everyone, grandparents, everybody else, all he wants for Christmas and his birthday, which are close. Uh, he just wants money so he can buy this camera. Right. And he re received most of it and he was able to raise the rest of it. And uh, two weeks ago, not even, we found it on eBay for a little cheaper than the Craigslist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this came yesterday, and now he had the 
the joy of opening this box of this camera that he bought, that yeah. he saved for, and and learn patience and learn stewardship and all that. So, uh, you know, I just if I buy the camera now, I own this camera that I don't necessarily want. I've spent money on it, and if he never raises the money to buy it, I'm stuck with this camera that I didn't need in the first place. Now, mm -hmm. could I have resold it for the same amount that I purchased it? Probably. So, I, you know, again, there's there's different factors, but the point is, I don't even lend to my kids. Right. Uh, if they don't have the money. They can't afford whatever it is. That's the bottom line, right. and and they don't. They need to wait. I, I think it's important for kids not to uh, to teach that to kids because the fact that you're you can be setting them up for a pattern of borrowing and getting into debt. Um, so I, I think that's a, a fantastic thing. Um, a lesson that he can look back on and have, have learned from is is uh, that it's he needs to to not seek out to put himself into someone else's debt and become their slave basically and and work for them in order to be able to earn something uh, like that camera. So that's, that's, I think that's a good thing uh, to teach your children. And my, my eight, now 18 year old daughter, when she turned 16, uh, she bought her own car. She had been saving up and she bought a car and I told her I would match uh, whatever mm -hmm. she saved and uh, get a car for that. And she pays for her own insurance. I mean, my kids work. Uh, my my 18 year old works 26 hours a week. Well, actually, more than that if you count the babysitting and the nannying and that kind of thing. My 16 year old daughter, who doesn't have her license yet, but she'll be getting it soon, she works about uh, 18 hours a week, and mm -hmm. she's saving up for a car because she knows I'm I'm not going to buy her a car. Uh, I will match her what she saves, but uh, she needs to buy her own car. And um, we've just instilled in our kids from from day one two things: one, you, you don't borrow money because it's it just will undo you. And secondly, work, the value of work. And that's the other side of this coin mm -hmm. uh, that we're talking the no pun intended, um, uh, of money is work and the value of work and, and the, the, the God has called us to work. Um, yeah. So we've taught our kids that from, from day one. Yeah, and work. Isn't that a bad word nowadays? Yeah, right. Uh, and it's, 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 you know, things have changed a lot in our culture where work has become something that's that's evil. But uh, you look from the very beginning, and, and that was something that was given to man as his role and his task to work and tend the garden, to care for it. Um, he was to, to uh, work the ground and labor. And um, there's a blessing. There's a true blessing that comes out of that. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it, but today, in this day and age, it's, it's – how old were you when you got your first job? Um, Twelve. Twelve? Yes. Yeah, see, I was about the same age. I was in junior yeah. high. I was delivering papers. Yep. I was caddying at a golf co golf uh, course. I'd never played golf. Had no idea. I'm clanking around. I'm I'm talking while they're getting ready to putt or whatever. And this is a wealthy, prestigious kind of <laughs> right. golf course. And uh, it's, it's amazing I made it past the first round because uh, I did everything <laughs> wrong. And I had a friend who started to show me the ropes. But yeah, it was good money for for a twelve year old, and I could ride my bike to the golf course. And uh, yeah, my dad put me to work, you know, early on. Right, right. I, I I did one of those. It's one of those paper routes when the when the paper boy rode the bike and threw the papers. Mm -hmm. I was terrible for the longest time. <laughs> I I messed up with throw them to the wrong house and to you know to the wrong neighbor or something like, or 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 knock something off the porch. You know, for the throw. I was terrible at throwing. So, yeah, it was it was a nightmare at first, but I stuck with it. And I was I thought it was so cool when I got my first check. You know, my first paycheck. Man. And uh, I, I just remember asking my my mom a lot, can I get a job? Can I get a job? And she says, you're only such and such. you got time. And I was like, oh, there's a paper job. And she said, okay, if you can do it with your schoolwork. And I said, yeah. So it was great. I enjoyed it. Um, and and I, I, I tended to do that as a teenager, to, to get jobs and stuff like that, because I wanted to earn my own money. There was a certain pride in, that was involved in, in uh, uh, being able to earn your own money, to, to be able to pay for your things that you wanted. Um, 
if if I have enough money to lend somebody, but don't believe that it's right for me to lend, should I just go ahead and give it to them as a gift? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that way there's no misunderstanding. Uh, you know, you're not giving this w- with any expectations. Just just give it as a gift. Yeah. And uh, why? What's the value of lending? Uh, again, the, the the principle on the borrower side should be: if I don't have the money, I can't afford this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I need to say no. I need to wait. Now, the, the one exception uh, that I make is uh, is mortgage. Uh, so we don't have any debt. Uh, we don't borrow from anyone. But uh, because of the appreciation, the value of, of homes and that kind of thing, uh, and because at least there is a real property here that's of equal value. You know, car, as soon as you drive it off the lot, it's uh, if you buy a new one, it's worth uh, half of what you paid for it, roughly. Mm-hmm. All right. Maybe a little more. Uh, but your home is generally appreciate, and if you buy well and that kind All of right. thing. So we have we've carried a mortgage. But uh, that's we don't we don't borrow outside of that, and I I wouldn't lend to somebody again if they don't have the money, then they shouldn't be buying what they're buying unless I give them a gift or someone else gives them a gift. That's my that's my approach. Yeah. Again, uh, the scripture is not black and white on this, but it seems like a wise principle. Yeah, I think so too. It's a good relationship principle too, because besides the fact that um, you know losing. Uh, money, uh, et cetera, that, that side of it, there's a relationship problem that occurs when someone is supposed to pay you back and they're unable to. And I've mm-hmm. seen friendships, uh, mm-hmm. good family relationships dissolve because of someone was lent money that, that was not returned mm-hmm. and uh, with that expectation. So uh, it's, it's good to, if you can do it, just give a gift, um, but don't get involved in the lending process or, or asking for the, the a loan. Right, and again, what are you what are you uh, setting the borrower up for? You know, you're 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 setting them up to owe you or owe mm-hmm. somebody, and uh, that could be a very tough thing for them if they can't pay it back. Right, right. Let me ask you. Uh, here's one I get asked about um, about being a good steward with, and this is very San Diego ranked in the top five nation or cities in the nation of the homeless problem. I think we actually, I think we were number three and two of the, two, the two ones above us were New York and San Francisco. So two of the, the, the largest homeless communities here in California, go figure. Um, yeah. so we have a lot of folks in my town. I can go up and down the street and, and find homeless folks. Some folks who, um, are professional panhandlers, um, oh. some folks, uh, young, some old, some with various stories and backgrounds. I've talked to a lot of them before. And um, some who seem to be just down on their luck, some who uh, are raging alcoholics, and that's why they're in a situation. When I get asked for money, am I being a good steward by giving them money? Uh, the Bible talks about giving to those who ask. What's What are the principles that should guide me? Yeah, again, it comes back to... Um, Yes, the the Bible says more than one thing about these things. So mm-hmm. to just take that one verse and say, "Oh, everybody who asks me, I need to give," um, great. You know, when somebody really <laughs> holds that uh, big time with me, I'm like, great. I need a thousand bucks. Yeah. You know, and I've not had anybody who holds that principle give me a thousand bucks. And I say, well, why not? Well, you don't really need it. Okay, so you've done some pre-qualifying. You know, you 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 don't think that I need it, so you're not going to give it to me. Why would you not do the same thing with the panhandler, the the guy on the street corner, that kind of thing? Um, there are enough, uh, enough good reasons to not just give money to everybody that you see walking in the downtown area or whatever. Again, you just don't know those circumstances. Um, it, it does tug on your heart for sure. Mm-hmm. 
And, and I think we should not grow cold or cynical and assume right. that everybody who's begging has made poor decisions and that kind of thing. And I think we should be open to this. Most of the, um, the New Testament instruction for, for giving to those who ask are giving to Christians, by the way, not mm-hmm. just uh, people who walk up to you. Um, as a pastor, I get this. We, we get people uh, every week almost that come in and think this is a church and uh, this church is going to give me money. And as soon as your church gets a reputation for giving money to somebody that walks in, you're going to get flooded with people because the word gets around. Oh, that church, they'll give you, they'll give you money. Yeah. And I, I have to guard against not growing cynical. I've had some of the biggest whopping lies told to me that you can imagine. Uh, one gal came in, uh, this is just a year ago or so, came into the church building. And she said her sister's in Denver. So we're in the Springs. Denver's about uh, 60 miles north. Her sister's in Denver. Her baby is dying, just had a baby, and it's dying. And she just wanted some money to get up there to see her, her little uh, nephew. And she brought in these pictures on her phone and showed me, you know, this baby with all kinds of tubes and, and wires. I don't know. It just it, clearly the baby was not in a good place. And, uh, and I said, oh, what hospital is he in? And uh, she said, Bethel. And I, you know, I don't know Denver that well as far as all the hospitals up there. So I uh, had my assistant call, uh, 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 look on the internet to find Bethel Hospital up in Denver while I'm talking to this gal. And, uh, and meanwhile, her sister calls her on the phone while I'm sitting there talking to her. And she starts crying. And, you know, she's, she's listening on one end of the phone just how, how desperate her nephew is and going to die any minute now, that kind of thing. And uh, I said, hey, can I talk to her? And the guy quickly <laughs> said, no, got off the phone or whatever. I said, okay, well, that could be coincidence. I said, how about this? How about you call her and let me talk to a doctor or nurse in the hospital? Because if, if it had been proven, I probably would have given her some money. Not from the church's uh, stock, but from, from mine. I would have given her some money from right there. Anyway, there's no Bethel Hospital in uh, in Denver. <laughs> and it, you know, it was all a sham. She was lying. But... And she just seemed like the sweetest, most genuine gal in the world, mm-hmm. but it was all a lie. Yeah, all a lie. And I can't. T- I can tell you story after story after story after story of that. And it's gotten me to the point where I just don't trust someone who says they have a need. I don't trust that they they genuinely have a need. Now we have an organization in our city, and you probably do too, where they do the background checks. They they will. Mm-hmm. We as a church will support this ministry, and they will do the background and and see mm-hmm. if there's a genuine need and help them to it. They have very clear rules and regulations on how much they help them. They have beds and that, and that kind of thing. So that's kind of how we handle most of those, uh, those situations. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, while not having been a pastor and dealing with that, I was a pastor's kid. And I remember from very young age, people knocking, not because, because we had, uh, we had a home on the, on the church property pastor. And, um, th- there were people knocking on the door at night in the middle of the night, um, needing money. And uh, they thought, well, the pastor's there at the ha- lives on behind the behind the church building, so they would knock on our door, and and uh, dad would have to say, no, you you know, no for this, or or if it was emergency, if he knew if it was real, legitimate, he would take him into the church building and talk with them in his office or whatever it might be. But but I remember that it was constant because uh, uh, people thought mm, I just go to the church and I can get money, and you know, mm-hmm. and we had a we have a lady here actually in in my town who when i lived about 20 miles away uh at another town she and this is 10 years ago she she would stand out there on this one corner specifically near a shopping center and she held a sign and said i'm pregnant i need help and she was a slender woman she was wearing dirty clothes and she she looked pretty rough and um uh she held that sign up 
help. I'm pregnant, need help for a year and a half. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> I, yeah, then I moved here to, to, to where I'm at now in Escondido. And, and she actually moved here too, evidently, because she stands on the corner down there and she's been there for years. Um, and it's a profession for her. Um, yeah. And uh, they, they her, her and her husband or whoever it is gets in a car and drives off. So, I, you know, it's, it's again, it's hard to be mm-hmm. to fight the, the being cynical. Um, we got to soften ourselves still. And uh, um, we do. We got to be careful, though. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes instead of giving money to if, if they, they want to take food um, mm-hmm. or, or supplies, that's a better thing. I know this one person who does this, who, who really feels the need to give to, to folks. So what she does is she has this weekly thing where she she goes to a dollar store or something discount place and she buys certain necessities and has them in little velcro or not velcro um ziploc bags mm-hmm. uh, little packets and so if anybody asks for her, something from her she'll give it to them and maybe have two dollars in it or something in case it's something that she doesn't have in the bag but she'll give that to them uh, little supplies that needs to mm-hmm. take care of themselves so our women's ministry does that in fact everybody in our church has a a constant supply of those Ziploc bags. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we make them by the hundreds and just keep, keep them in the cars and hand them out and that kind of thing. And it's, it's a little something. Um, and there's a track in there, you know, and an invitation to church and that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's just hard. We had a guy two weeks ago, two, two months ago, I came into the office and w- one of the uh, ladies in the office there said, Hey, th- here's a number. This guy wants you to call him back. He just, he, his, he's got a gal that's like a stepdaughter to him up in Denver. That she just got horribly, you know, killed by in a car accident, and he just wanted to pray with you. Just wanted a pastor to pray with him. And I told her, I said, "No way, this guy wants money." And she said, "No, no, no. He just, he just wanted to talk to a pastor and pray because he's really <laughs> tore up." I said, "No way, he wants money." So I called him back. I, I thought about not doing it because I've been down this road so many times, but I called him back, and he was just in a great mood. It's like he'd forgotten, you know, like, oh, yeah. I said, hi, this is Doug. I'm the pastor of Front Range Line Church. Oh, how you doing, pastor? Da, 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 da. And then it, almost in the conversation, you could tell the, he's like, oh, wait, I called. And then so he starts, his tone slows down as, as he gets a little <laughs> more somber and goes from this big, how are you doing to, oh, I, you know, just had a really tough thing. And, and then starts telling me about all the churches that support his ministry, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, playing a Christian. And, uh, and he goes on and on and on. Finally, I said, are you calling to ask for money? He goes, yeah, it'd be really great. I said, yeah, I'm not going to give you any. Okay, well, thanks. <laughs> and that was it. And it's just yeah. a complete lie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and people understand, we're talking still in this context about being a good steward with the money that God has given us to, to look after. It can be foolish to give to certain people who um, this is their profession. This is their, their scam or whatever it might be. Yes. We need to, to look out for those who are genuinely, um, less fortunate, who are in a bad situation, who desperately need help, but we need to be wise and be careful with what God has given us. And that means not casting it away to, to, um, false claims, um, and scams and schemes. So, uh, let me, let me shift gears here a little bit. Um, credit cards, we mentioned that briefly is, should, should a Christian even have credit cards in his wallet? Uh, I hope that's okay because I do. Yeah. Um, we pay it off every month mm-hmm. and uh, don't carry a balance, but we do get you know the rewards. Uh, and there's a variety yeah. of credit cards that have rewards that you can uh, benefit from. So to me, that's good stewardship because I'm actually adding, uh, putting more money in my pocket by doing that. Uh, the danger there, of course, even with our approach, which is we pay off the entire balance every single month, is if something significant should happen and we can't pay it off uh, one month, then uh, then now we're paying interest. And interest is the problem. 
um, you know, that's uh, that's that you just pay so much more over the long haul than than you than you think. So, uh, no, I don't. I'm not ready to say it's a sin to to have a credit card. It's just, is it wise stewardship? Is that paying that interest? Is that a good thing? I, I don't think so. I think you shouldn't pay interest. I think you should save up until you have the money to pay for it. And uh, and credit cards is just a convenience for us to to pay easily with it and to add value by the the points. But people do that with debit card, you know, mm-hmm. just as well, and, and that way they're withdrawing it straight from the checking account, and they don't take the risk of any debt at all. I think that's a wise move. Right. right. Is, what about savings? Um, uh, someone who's who's maybe has a little bit of debt uh, or or is on a tight budget, should they even think about doing savings? Uh, is that something that they should, they should wait till everything's done, or should they start putting something aside now? Yeah, and this is another uh, place where Dave Ramsey really mm-hmm. shines. I think the idea of saving enough cash so that when those unexpected expenses come up that, that, that you can't predict, but they're going to come, they just do, you, you aren't tempted to add more to your credit card. Mm-hmm. So you know his emergency fund, as he calls right. it, to save up a certain amount of emergency fund of cash, and then every other expendable dollar goes straight to paying down debt. And then the, you know, your transmission goes out, you've got some cash to pay for that. Uh, so you don't have to put that on a credit card, and then you start building up your emergency fund again. So I think that's the wiser course long term to keep yourself out of out of building that debt. Yeah, you, you, we were talking earlier about retirement. Um, is it is it wrong for us to plan for a comfortable retirement? I mean, uh, you, you who was it? Um, uh, I'm gonna I'm going to say J.I. Packer, but it's not J.I. Packer. It's um, Piper Piper. Um, who used to talk about um, uh, not retiring? We shouldn't plan mm-hmm. for retiring, or some some to that degree. But um, uh, and I hear I hear other folks, especially in ministry, say, "Ah, there's no such thing as retirement for me." Is it is it is it wrong for a minister or anybody else to plan for retirement? Um, and if it's not wrong, how much of a comfy retirement should we plan for? Should we like be putting a lot of money investing into that to where we can go live in the Bahamas during our, our, our retirement years or what? Yeah. So that comes back to kind of what I was alluding to earlier. Uh, there are two, two separate questions you're asking there. One is if I'm looking forward to a retirement where I get my Winnebago and I just drive and see, (laughs) see the world, you know, come out to San Diego to see you and the, and uh, panhandle with you or whatever. Um, that's that's not that's not in that's not a biblical principle where I, I've worked hard for so many years and then I get to live the good life. Um, I'm I'm never going to stop ministering. You know, my my calling. I'm going to preach the gospel till the day I die. I hope, regardless of whether I'm getting paid for it or if I have a leadership position, I, I, I want that's my calling is to teach and that kind of thing. So that that. That view of retirement is not a biblical one. As far as saving for that time when you aren't earning an income, which is, again, it's going to happen for all of us uh, in our culture, I think that's wise. Um, so I would look at it like this. No, I wouldn't encourage someone to save up uh, and set themselves up for a very cushy, wealthy retirement in that sense. I would say save up and, and again, use compound in- interest to, to your advantage and save up as much as you possibly can and build that wealth with compound interest and then decide how Jesus wants you to use it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you to have more to give. You know, if, if, if you can invest a couple hundred bucks a month for 40 years and end up with three or four million dollars, hey, the church needs that money. Yeah. And, and other ministries need that money. We, the, to build the kingdom of God, it takes money, bottom line. 
And, and so absolutely, I would, love to, I would love to have people in our church right now who were good investors when they were younger, who are at retirement age and say, hey, the Lord has prospered. How, how should I use this money for his glory? Uh, that's, a, that's a great scenario in my mind. Yeah. I've heard someone one time say something to the effect that um, when considering our earthly retirement, we need to make sure that we're keeping in mind our heavenly retirement, mm -hmm. uh, that, that that's the real retirement uh, that we should we should be being good stewards of when we consider our earthly retirement, that uh, uh, if we should we should should be able to retire, but don't overdo it to where that's your heaven, that you're right. putting those finances also into promoting the kingdom of God uh, and, and using it for his glory's sake. I think that's a good idea. So let me, so I, let me give an example. I have a, a guy in our church, a friend who's older than me, um, mm. who, who had a, a pretty good job for many years, worked hard for you know, several decades, and uh, has lived in the same home for at least 30 years, maybe more. I know they paid it off a long time ago. So that was kind of his first goal, you know, save up and, and add extra money to pay off the mortgage. And he's driven very, uh, very inexpensive cars, always paid cash for mm -hmm. them, and, uh, and saved and saved and saved and saved, and retired very young. Not, he's not living the good life. He's not traveling all over the world and spending money. He's not a golfer or anything like that. He's a writer and, and, and really is, is a good thinker. And so he's, it had, by retiring, it's freed him to spend more time writing books, right. to invest. He, he, he mentors several younger men in our church. Um, he's bought some property uh, with, with uh, a building on it that he invites people to go to and just get away from, mm -hmm. uh, you know, vacations up in the mountains here. And it just, it's just it's beautiful and it's free. He doesn't charge anything right. for it. And he was able to pay cash for it because he'd saved well. Uh, he's living a, the same pretty simple life that he's always lived, but he's got enough wealth built up that he can live off of that and be a blessing to others and give generously to ministries, to the church and all these other things. And he's using his time and his money to build up the kingdom. Yeah. And you know, I think that's wonderful. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, I think that's a great idea to be able to say I'm retiring from my employment, but I'm not retiring from ministry. In fact, I'm going more into that type of, of, of realm of being able to use my spare time to, to, to do those things that I didn't have an opportunity to do before. Um, that and, and blessing others with your time and and finances that you have. Um, now <laughs> it's funny, Doug, because when we always start out, we say, "Oh, well, forty-five minutes is where we're going to go." But I haven't even made it halfway through <laughs> the questions I want to go through. One of the questions I, I want to ask is: Is is it wrong for me to uh, live in comfort? Uh, to uh, take my kids to theme parks? To um, be able to buy new clothes? To um, Etc. Is is it wrong for me, or should I should I strive to live in a very meager way? Uh, yeah, and the scripture is just not uh, doesn't speak to this very much. Um, we we have you know Paul telling Timothy the uh, chapter six of First Timothy tell those who are rich in this world to not uh, not store up their treasure here, but to store up the treasure in heaven. Clearly quoting Jesus there. Um, what's that? Uh, that's where I've got my Bible open oh. to right now, First Timothy six. <laughs> yeah, uh, he doesn't say you have to sell everything. You know, Jesus only told one person that: sell mm -hmm. everything you have and give to the right. poor. And that was not because that's the ongoing principle. Right. That's because he was exposing to this uh, rich young ruler that uh, he has made an idol out of himself and his money, and he's not willing to deny everything and serve Jesus. Uh, that's the bottom line. If Jesus were to call you and me and say, "I want you to sell everything, give it to the poor, and come follow me," 
if our heart is, yeah, I would do it in a moment, then, then that's what he wants. Uh, we, we certainly do not see the scripture telling us that there's a certain standard of living that if you exceed this, you're in sin. Uh, I think that's a very individualistic thing where we need to seek the Lord, say, okay, you've, you have entrusted me as a steward of this. What do you want me to do with it? Uh, how much can I spend on those things uh, that you described earlier? And versus how much should I give and prepare for the future? Uh, but wealth in itself is not evil, and uh, we are not told that it's it's um, wrong to enjoy God's gifts if he's blessed you with money, but we are to take care of the central things that he tells us to, such as, we haven't gotten into this yet, but such as ministers, evangelists, uh, the kingdom of God building, and, and, and helping others in need. There was a, a man who lived, uh, he was a, 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 um, uh, a union officer in the Civil War, and uh, came to Christ. It's a very interesting story, the, the whole story, but I won't go through it. But he came to Christ during the midst of a, of a, of a situation in the Civil War and later on became a preacher uh, after the war was over. And he also became very wealthy. And he wrote a book called Acres of Diamonds. And it's a very small little book. And it's a le- based on a lecture he used to go around giving. And his, he encouraged Christians, and he's not the only one that did this back in that time period, he encouraged Christians to seek to become wealthy, mm. to apply themselves to build wealth. For the purpose of serving the kingdom and russell mm-hmm. conwell ended up um helping to establish orphanages hospitals schools etc cetera, etc cetera, mm-hmm. um ministries with, within churches and stuff um is that something that we should be trying to do should i should i apply myself to become rich or wealthy in order to support ministries uh i, I wouldn't say it's a bad idea um, I think, again, for all of us to build as much wealth as we can without becoming materialistic or neglecting other things mm-hmm. uh, is ideal. I, I'm, I'm good at, um, at just being steady and, and investing well using the resources that I have. But there are some people that are just gifted at making money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, just, they just do. And yeah. that's great. They are the ones especially that should pursue building wealth like crazy in order to give it away, in order to, to build up the kingdom. There are some people that are just really, really poor at managing money, and they, they just don't have the skills. They don't have the, the uh, really anything that it takes to accumulate a lot of wealth. Uh, and that's just, you know, their giftings are, are in different things. Right. Well, they should not spend a whole lot of time trying to build wealth, I don't think, because they're not going to be very good at it. So right. a lot of this comes back to your gifting and, and your abilities. But the general principle of build as much wealth as you can without neglecting anything else and without becoming sinful, absolutely. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't we do that? Yeah, and I think that's an important factor is the motivation and the heart factor involved in it. Is is uh, If you're building wealth because of materialism, then you've got a problem there. It's become not something that you're wanting to be a good steward of or to to give back to God mm-hmm. uh, and to bless others. It's becoming an idol to you at that point in time, and that's where we need to be careful. In, in 1 Timothy he, he warns about, uh, and it's often taken out of context, the love of money is mm-hmm. the root of all evil. Now, let, let, I'm going I'm to read First Timothy 6, uh, starting with verse 7. It says, for we brought nothing into this world. And let me actually back up to verse 6. Did I say 7, 6? For chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought, and that's an important factor, mm-hmm. contentment. Um, there was a Puritan that wrote a book called The Art of Contentment. And I, I talk to my children all the time about contentment, being grateful for what we have and being thankful for it. Um, for, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap 
and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Um, it's it's interesting how it's often taken out of context. One uh, that 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 money is the root of all evil, but as you said earlier, it's it's amoral. It doesn't. It's it's a thing. It doesn't have uh, evil or or goodness ascribed to it. It's the way in which it's used and the motivations behind its its use. Um, and and here he's talking about the love of money. Uh, someone who's who's become taken their affections off of God and put it onto something material, uh, something that gives them power or pleasure. Uh, so, so we, that's the, that's the caution that's, it's, it's offered here. Um, and then notice it's the rich aren't evil. The rich have a temptation that the poor don't have. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rich are going to be tempted to be materialistic, uh, to be miserly, to, um, to, to spend their monies in, in ways that are not glorifying to God. And those are ways, those are temptations that the poor won't have. Um, and the poor have temptations that the rich don't have as, as well. So he's warning against that in this passage. Um, any thoughts on that? No, you're, you're exactly right. And and he goes on to to warn them, one of the biggest temptations is to trust in mm-hmm. their money mm-hmm. instead of trusting in God. And, and you know, Jesus uh, and, and others in the scripture made this point, your wealth can be taken from you in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. You know, your, your barns can burn down. You're just storing up, storing up uh, treasure after treasure after treasure, and those things can be taken away. You think about all the, uh, the 90s dot-com uh, folks yeah. that uh, made so much money. I had My brother has a friend who w- went from a multimillionaire to mm-hmm. uh, almost the poorhouse in, in like two days. You know, yep. it, it just all came c- collapsing. Uh, as long as your trust is not in it and you're truly seeking the Lord for what you should do with it, uh, having wealth is not the problem. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually was 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 close to someone too who was involved in that. They they were worth uh, several million dollars living in Malibu, um, and within within days, their 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 value whoosh, down uh, because of the fact that they were trusting in that, and and uh, that was a good humbling experience I think for him because he was he was getting caught up into materialism in that way that way. Um, so, um, is it is it uh, where I've lost my spot here. <laughs> Let's go to tithing because uh, this is an important factor. And, you know, we're, our time is running short. And I want to hit on this because this is an important c- discussion in theology and depending on what denomination you come from, uh, where you're at. And I actually had a discussion with a woman last Sunday who was visiting our church. And uh, she, 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 it's about tithing. She, she says, uh, she's visiting our church. I said, well, what do you think so far of what you heard? She goes, she goes, oh, I, I love what I'm hearing. She says, but um, I don't believe in tithing. And I said, oh, that's great. We don't either. <laughs> and I asked her why. And uh, she gave some really great New Covenant uh, examples of why she doesn't believe in, in tithing. So, mm-hmm. Doug, the Bible, we look at the Old Testament and we see tithing given. Uh, why, mm-hmm. why, why, why would we be, we be against tithing, giving 10%? If you don't know what tithing is, it's, it's giving 10% of what you earn back to the Lord. Uh, in the Old Testament, it was giving back to the temple services. Uh, so they can they can provide all the the equipment and, and supplies needed. Is that what we're supposed to do? You know, as as, a, as the church, as the people of God, are we supposed to be giving ten percent back to the ministry? Yeah, uh, I'm not at all opposed to tithing, uh, but it's <laughs> it's not a requirement in the new covenant uh, to be sure. Yeah, that was very specific to Israel, to the old covenant, uh, for a variety of reasons. And when you added up all of the uh, giving they were to contribute to the uh, priests, to the temple, it was actually more than ten. Mm-hmm. 
think 23% or so is what it uh, ended up being. Um, so no, we don't have any, the scripture in the new covenant scriptures did not give us any, um, any percentage, any, any amount that we are supposed to give, uh, but it's much more principle-based and grace-based. We are to give generously, we're to take care of those in need, and we're to really uh, underwrite the building of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, elders uh, are, at least some of us, what we call pastors, elders who, uh, who work hard at preaching and teaching, Paul says, are to be supported by those that they're teaching. So for me to receive a full-time salary from my church is, is biblical. It's the right thing. Missionaries and evangelists are to receive their uh, income from the church, from those that are benefiting from this to, to build the kingdom. Um, and then in our day, you just have the logistics of, since we're all benefiting from gathering in a building, if you have a church building, then it makes sense that the whole body would share in paying for that building because we're doing good work in that building. It's right. you know it's a training ground. It's a, it's a place for gathering for worship. It's where we're discipling our kids in, in a lot of ways. So that's just common sense. That's not a requirement. That's just uh, this is a tool again, a, a vehicle for us to build the kingdom, to train up uh, workers and that kind of thing. Um, so no, there's no percentage. Uh, we're we're called to give generously, especially toward those who are in need. Uh, there is the principle of sowing and reaping. The scripture says, even in the new covenant, that mm-hmm. uh, financially you will reap what you sow. Uh, Paul says that uh, he's not promising a dollar for dollar return on your investment in the kingdom. Uh, and some of the blessings may indeed be spiritual, but it seems like some of the blessing is also financial there. That if, if you give the Lord your first fruits of your money, he's going to take care of you. He's going to bless you. And, uh, and certainly I know in my own life, I've seen that. And I've seen him do it in other people where they gave generously and the Lord really prospered them financially. And it, it's almost like God knows, uh, well, he does know this, but it, 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 if, you're, if you're faithful to the little things, he'll bless you with much. Uh, some of that even comes to, to pass in this life. Not always. And again, God does what he's going to do. And, and, and there's not a rigid rule here. But uh, if we give generously to his kingdom, he's going to take care of you most of the time. All right, let me let me continue on with that question because I know we're going to get, especially with some of the things you just said, we're going to get questions about it, and it's whenever I wanted to head anyway. Says, okay, so uh, we're supposed to give generously. Um, is there such thing as giving too generously? Because uh, because there's there are those out there in what's called the prosperity gospel movement who say that you need to give, give, give in order to be able to get, get, get. Mm-hmm. Um, where's where's the cutoff for that? Where's where what what guidelines do we have for that? Yeah. Um, the principle that I operate under is, uh, what's the need? Mm-hmm. What's the need? So again, uh, in, a new in, jet. Yeah. Yeah. I, you don't need that. <laughs> you don't need a new jet and neither do I. And neither does any pastor or preacher. Maybe, uh, you can imagine some circumstances where, you know, it is th- this ministry that you know, not so much a, a jet, but like MAF, are you familiar with the MAF ministry? They, they fly into some remote mm-hmm. areas and in, yeah, in right. world countries to supply them with an airplane so they can mm-hmm. take supplies in and reach those people? Absolutely. That, that's a great uh, investment to do, but not so that uh, it's easier for me to travel to San Diego to uh, hang out with you. I need a jet. You know, that's, <laughs> that kind of thing is, is dumb. Um, like I tell our body every year when we do our budget and the congregation has to approve our budget, mm-hmm. I tell them this is not so much a, a tithing offerings scenario this is because you all are voting on this, you are signing up to pay our bills, mm-hmm. right? We have created this budget. We pre- the elders do that. We create the budget. We present it to the body, and they're free to ask questions. They're free to offer suggestions and, and make changes, that kind of thing. 
And then we all agree together, this is what we are going to pay over the next year to for the work of this ministry. And so we're not asking people to give above and beyond uh, for some spiritual reason. We're telling them, you have signed on to make sure we meet our budget. That's just mm-hmm. good stewardship yeah. in that sense. And, and I think so often churches operate under this, this uh, ultra-spiritual concept when it comes to that. This, to me, is much more nuts and bolts of finance. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when needs come, when we're trying to raise money for a mission, missionary or sending people over in missions or, or brothers and sisters are struggling or whatever, that's where the, the extra generous giving comes when there are, there are new needs. And if you have greater means than someone else, you should give greater proportionally, biblically speaking. Let me, let me ask you, uh, it's a little bit slightly off topic, kind of not, um, but <laughs> uh, at your church, do you pass an offering plate? We do, every Sunday. Okay. Yeah, this woman I was talking to, she confused the fact that we pass an offering plate with, with tithing, required tithing, you know, think that, and I explained it to her. Now, what is the reason you guys pass an offering plate? What, what, someone asked you, Pastor Doug, uh, why do you guys pass a plate around? Yeah, because I've been tempted to eliminate that uh, several times, but I just, I love the idea of people having the opportunity to physically go mm-hmm. through the, the, the practice of, of putting their money in it to show their giving for kids, you know, for my kids, uh, from, from day one, when they've received any money, they are to set some aside and give it. And I love that exercise for them. You know, now for me personally, I have automatic withdrawal, so I never put something in the plate. It comes right out of my, my bank account, but there is, there's something, uh, if I had never done that, if I had never been in the habit of actually putting the money in the, in the plate, then uh, it would be mess, less meaningful for me, I think, in, in my own heart of, mm-hmm. of giving. Now it's almost, if you're not careful, it can seem like I don't even know I'm giving it. And, and is my heart really in that? Well, it is every year when my wife and I pray through and decide, okay, mm-hmm. how much are we going to allocate right off the top to, to give? Uh, but anyway, so that's, that's why we do it is at, and like Lord's supper or baptism or any other external way right. of, of right. demonstrating something. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, it, and it's our church is, they thought one time about eliminating an offering plate. Um, but then they, they decided to go ahead and keep it because, uh, of the lesson that it taught children, uh, they wanted one to see our, our church. We have the children uh, they, they have children's classes and stuff during the same time. We rent a space, so our time is limited there. But so they, they have a, a, a during the pastor's sermon, they have opportunity to go back and, and, and do children's classes. Um, but they're with us for the worship music and other parts of the service. Um, and the reason that they put the passing of the plate, if you will, during that time is because they want to teach their children, the children more about that. And they want to, they want them to see their parents worship and they want to see them parents giving. And, uh, and for my children, I give them the, the money, the check, whatever it might be to put it in there. So they're learning. Uh, and, and I, you don't know, just give it to them and say, Hey, put that in there, you know, feel good about yourself. You're teaching them when you do it, make sure you tell them why we're giving and what this, it's not just a piece of paper, um, that that it's, there's a value to it and what this represents and what you're giving back to the Lord and why he is worthy of this and what it does, where the money's going to go to. Um, <laughs> I know a lot right. of children think it's going to pay the pastor and that's it, right. you know, uh, we're going to go pay for his kids, you know. <laughs> yeah. What's the old joke? Um, uh, um, well, my dad gets paid to be good. Well, my dad's good for nothing, you know, that kind of thing. The, the uh, sometimes I've had people come and say, you know, for visitors, especially if they're unbelievers, we should uh, we should eliminate passing the plate because it makes them feel like they need to give something. 
And I tell them just the opposite. Yeah. I say, actually, I love for them to see the plate being passed mm -hmm. because it shows that we are willing to give money. Uh, we don't ask them to. In fact, sometimes yeah. we'll even announce that up front. We don't expect you to give anything if you're visiting your, our guest here today. But I love the fact that they see people putting money in that plate. It just says something about our priorities. Yeah. Now, I do know of a church, uh, a very a very solid church uh, that's been around for a while. They have a box in the foyer. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, if, if my, my time there was funny because I, the pastor was often asked uh, or, or members were asked, uh, Where, where's the, where do I give at uh, from, from new people? And it's like, oh, there's a, there's a box in the foyer and they'd look for it and they couldn't find it because it was so obscure. It was, it was this little box that was nailed to the wall, the fastened to the wall and it was behind the door. So you actually had to go behind and, and open it up. But this church, um, it, it was the first time I ever went to a church that didn't pass a plate and uh, was financially so solid and mm -hmm. so secure because one, they, they had some great people who were taking care of the finances and second, because the people were giving faithfully. Um, money was very rarely mentioned except for when it came up in a text um, and uh, people were giving faithfully. So uh, that was, that was great to see. So I think, think, you know, it, you don't have to pass a plate. You can, um, there's some good lessons that come out of it when you do do it. Um, what about giving to other ministries? Uh, say for instance, is, is it right for me to take my money, um, and budgeting it out? I say, I got this much for giving, uh, I'll give this much to my church. Am I free then to take some of the, and give it to other ministries, missionaries, um, some parachurch organization? Um, should I even set aside some of that giving money for blessing individuals that may not be affiliated with my church? Yeah, I think all those are good things. Uh, again, the New Covenant just does not say, here's how much and here's how you're to allocate it. Uh, our, our mindset should be, we, we have to underwrite the building of the kingdom, and we have to take care of people in need. So uh, that's an individual thing, you and the Lord. Uh, our, our principle is, we, we start with 10%, because my philosophy is, if in the covenant of law, God required 10% off the top, how could I in the New Covenant the gracious covenant, how can I give less than that? I, I, I can't in good conscience do that. So uh, we start with just you know automatic withdrawal, 10%. Again, not because it's a law, not because it's required, but just because of that principle I just laid out. And then as needs come up, as other opportunities come up, whether it's missionaries or someone in need or a ministry or whatever, then we will give on top of that. And some of that goes to our local church, some that goes to other organizations. Uh, obviously, Cross Ground Ministries, we <laughs> we, we we don't uh, earn a lot of money in any other way. We need people uh, donating to to us. We lose money um, every semester on our students at NCST at New Covenant School of Theology. We because our tuition is so low, we don't uh, we never end up in the black from tuition. We have to make up that that money to pay our professors uh, from other other means, and donations help with that. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I'm, I encourage everyone uh, out there to <laughs> give to uh, Cross to Crown Ministries. But for me, the, the first place is the local church, because th those elders are the ones who are supporting you and teaching you and uh, the building that you gather in, you know, that's that's to your benefit. So it just makes sense to me mm -hmm. that our first priority should be the local church that we are in. But then, yeah, be be ready to give generously to many other causes uh, for, for the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's about wrapped up questions that I have. Um, any of the other questions were actually answered within the other ones. Um, so uh, uh, overall, we're, we're, we're encouraging you to uh, live Christ-obsessed with your money. 
Uh, and that means being a good steward, um, not living, f using it foolishly, using it wisely, using it uh, for the for the the advancement of the kingdom of God. Uh, again, like Doug said, it's not really hardcore rules, laws set out in the scriptures. Uh, there are principles to guide us. Um, we have love to guide us um, and, and wisdom as well. Uh, Doug, do you have anything to add to that? Well, we, we hit on this earlier, and it's probably worth saying for anybody who's feeling particularly convicted or guilty, um, I do believe we see in the Scripture people enjoying life. Just like we talked last time with our, our time, to use our time for some things that are just for our enjoyment, I don't see anything wrong with that. And to use money for things that, is, that are just for our enjoyment, I don't see anything wrong with that. Uh, again, trust uh, trust the conscience. Seek the Lord, and, uh, and 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 wealth and 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 pleasures are not inherently evil, so long as we don't uh, make an idol out of them. So I wouldn't want anybody to leave this thinking, oh, I need to, I should feel bad for enjoying my money. No, you shouldn't. But always uh, submit it to the Lord. Oh, that's great to hear you say that. I'm going to go out and buy a Lamborghini right yeah. now. <laughs> well, if the Lord gives you the freedom to do that, go enjoy it. <laughs> All right, Doug, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Folks, if you need to contact us, you can contact us at chris at crossthecrown.org. You can find that in the show notes as well. Uh, again, I encourage you, if you haven't listened to the previous episode, to go back and listen to it. It'll give you some background on stewardship. And join us next week because we're going to start talking about the body, stewardship of the body. We're going to be here to pump you up <laughs> and to pump up your body for Christ. Um, <laughs> the challenge is for us to do the whole episode with an Arnold Schwarzenegger accent. <laughs> challenge not accepted. And if and it, we'll do a video that way, we can actually see us doing it. You got to do the phantom lat syndrome right here with the arms up high. Um, so, uh, yeah. And, and, uh, we'll, we'll be discussing how to be a good steward of the body that God has given you and how to use it for, for his glory. Um, and, uh, the ins and outs of all that. So join us for next week for that. Uh, until next week, then, we want to encourage you to intentionally live Christ-obsessed in all things. Take care. <laughs>